0: Hi, I'm David Badella, and you're listening to The Spotlight Podcast on londontheatre.co.uk.
1: Hello there, and welcome to another episode of The Spotlight Podcast from londontheatre.co.uk, where we delve behind the scenes and chat to the people who really make the West End tick. This week, as you may have just heard, our guest is David Badella. He's currently gearing up for the West End opening of And Juliet* the Shakespeare-inspired musical set to the hits of the songwriter Max Martin. We're talking classics like Hit Me Baby One More Time, Backstreet's Back, It's My Life, as well as modern numbers from artists such as Adele, Jessie J, and Ariana Grande. I caught up with David in a bar at the Shaftesbury Theatre where we talked about his role and how it was shaped around him as an actor, what it was like being at the center of the storm when he played the devil in Jerry Springer the Opera, but first, we started by chatting about how often he gets out and about to see shows while he's performing.
0: It's the last thing you want to do on your day off. Everyone says, well, you have your matinees you can go to. or, or to. The last thing you want to do is go into another theater and see another show really? when you're living in the theater. So I end up not seeing much of anything. Are you a big musical theater fan regardless? I was when I was young, you know, when I was in my 20s. Uh, that That's when I had the energy to go see everything and buy cast albums and learn songs. I mean, I was just like a sponge. If you ask me anything about theater in the 80s, I can tell you, you know, right down to, um, you know, who wrote what and what year and what inspired them. I, I was, you know, like, I just wanted to take in everything. Now, not so much. Mm-hmm. Why and that's okay. What didn't that is? Uh, age? Yeah you realize that there's a whole lot of life going on outside of musical theater. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so you start to expand your horizons. It becomes a very small part of
1: what my life is. You know, so I, you mentioned there being into musical theatre when you were in your early twenties. I wanted to go a little bit further back. Yes. To Gary, Indiana. Oh my goodness! This yes. Where you grew up. That's where which I grew up. Is possibly the greatest place name I've ever
0: heard.
1: <laughs> uh, what was it like growing up there? Because obviously you were stone throw away from Chicago. Yeah. And so you must have had quite a bustling music scene there as well to get involved. With. Do you
0: know what? We were a very blue-collar family. My dad was a steel worker. My mother was a housewife. Our Our vision of the world was very small. Um, I went to school, I came home, I played with my sisters in the backyard, and really that was life when I was growing up in Gary. It wasn't until I was 14 years old, we moved to a new town adjacent to Gary called Merrillville. And Merrillville had a community theater. It was called RSMT, Ross Summer Music Theater, and all the kids from all the surrounding schools would go there. Didn't matter you whether you were matter whether you were particularly talented. You, just the fact that you wanted to participate meant you could be in the show. Uh, and some of the shows were ridiculously cast. I think the first one I did was called uh, Carousel, and it had a cast of 120 kids on stage. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was just no room to do anything. <laughs> just a bunch of people standing around. Um, but that was my first exposure to theater, and uh-huh. and. You know, it was from there that I grew to love it and it became my whole world. Um, but I didn't know anything about it when I was living in Gary. No? No, not at all. So was Carousel the first time you got up on, on a stage and performed? Actually, Bye Bye Birdie was the very first one. And uh, there was a girl named Joy Kane. She was my best friend in, God, what grade would it have been? Seventh grade. And she said to me, what are you doing this summer? Well, I just moved into the into the town. What are you doing this summer? And I said, um, not much. And she said, do you wanna go audition for this musical? And I literally said to her, what's a musical? I, I didn't know what a musical was. And she says, you just got to get up and learn a song and go sing for the director and he'll let you in. Like I said, you you didn't have to be particularly good. <laughs> and uh, when I got up to sing, and I don't even know what song it was, I, I couldn't tell you, um, I could see that he his face started moving. He was intrigued and he was talking to the person next to him and all of that. It all made me nervous. I didn't know what it meant. And he came up to me afterwards and said you're a singer and i said no i'm really not i don't and he said no i'm telling you you're a singer this is what you should be doing now at 14 when you've never even you know thought about performing or anything like that um it was quite a shock But I decided to embrace it, and my God, it opened up a whole new world. And then you became the guru of 80s musicals, yeah? yeah. (laughs) And now I know everything. (laughs) So
1: how did you take those kind of next steps from that first edition of 14 to deciding, this is what my life's gonna
0: revolve around? Well, when I look back on it, I realize it was a very short journey. (laughs) Uh, But at the time, it it seemed to go on for a long time. uh, From 14 to 17, I did the musical, the the summer musical, three summers in a row. And I started working professionally by the time I was 18. So, um, I just immersed myself, and and much to the detriment of my schoolwork. um, I, (laughs) I failed quite a few classes because I used, oh, I shouldn't be telling this, because I used to forge the music director's name on hall passes. I learned how to do his signature and I used to forge these passes that would say, please excuse David from class. Uh, there's work he needs to do in the theater because uh-huh. we had a theater in the school. And they would accept them. I would forge <laughs> these and they would say, well, it's up to you, but you're gonna miss this and you're gonna miss that. And I'd say, it's fine, I hope you don't mind. I've got the I've got the summer musical on or I've got the play or whatever it was. Uh, and, and I was never in class, never. <laughs> uh, my English Lit teacher said to me, I'm gonna have to fail you if you don't write a term paper. And I remember saying to her, then that's okay because I know what I'm gonna do and English Lit is not it. It's not what I'm gonna do. Uh, I don't know where I got the cojones to do things like that, but I did, and I, I guess it, just, it, it, it served me well because I wanted so much to be in theater, I wanted to be on stage and doing nothing but. Um, so yeah, within within four short years I was working professionally.
1: And it's a good job at work as well, otherwise you'd failed all your classes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'd have had nothing to fall back on.
1: What do you think you would have done if, if, if things were a little bit different? Oh, who knows, I'd have
0: been a hairdresser or something. <laughs> I only say that because I can cut hair now, it's one of those things I've learned to do through the years. But oh really? Yeah. Does that get, maybe if you have someone else doing
1: your hair backstage, are you like, actually, no, you should be doing it like this?
0: Funny you should mention that. Uh, <laughs> the, the wigs department here uh, has quite a running joke about the fact that they can never do a single thing. You know, they have to attach my wig every night. Mm-hmm. And the goal is, let's see if we can do it without David giving us one correction. <laughs> <laughs> and I try so hard. I try, But inevitably, I have to say something if it's not quite right. Yeah. Uh, and I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure
1: it's quite nice for them to be able to talk to
0: them Well, as we as laugh as well. and play and yeah. I tell them where they're making all their mistakes and they accept <laughs> it. Very well, you graciously. get notes, they should get notes. It's yeah, all yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So
1: from there going to work on professionally, you've had you've had quite the career. Um, you did the Jerry Springer opera mm. over here you've been in, in the heights, the producers, Rocky Horror Show, Sweeney Todd as well. Yeah. Do you have a, a personal highlight? Is there one production that you've done in the past that you'd like to relive and do all over again? maybe not change anything, but just,
0: just relive the experience of doing that show? Um, I kind of wish that I could relive the Jerry years uh-huh. because I had no idea how big it was going to be at the time, what a calling card it would become for me and my career. Um, and I kind of think, gosh, I wish my eyes were more open at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was continuing on from many years of just... Enjoying the work, you know, oh, here's my next show. This is interesting. I'm going to pour myself into it It's great fun uh, Without realizing that it's beca- going to become something that you're forever identified with um, uh, Much like <laughs> this is ridiculous to say much like Mark Hamill and his Star Wars years, you know uh, He never knew that he would be Luke Skywalker forever mm-hmm. uh, on a much smaller scale I tend to be the devil forever, no matter what meeting I take, even in Los Angeles, I'll, I'll take a meeting with uh, you know a producer or a filmmaker and they'll say, I saw you in Jerry Spring of the Opera. You were amazing as the devil. And I'll think, my God, this, this musical reached the whole world yeah. and I didn't know it was going to be that. Did so, it not
1: feel like a storm while it was happening?
0: Oh, it did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you don't know how big you don't know. I guess, you know, to what extent you'll be identified with it the rest of your life. Uh Um, And I'd like to just go back and kind of relive all of that and, you know, rethink decisions. And, you know, I will do this because it is going to affect my future rather than just, you know, loving the work. Yeah. Um, It is a a brilliant musical, but obviously that BBC broadcast kind of amplified
1: it. Yes. Um, Well, it it took it to the rest of the world. I think they had had 15,000 people get in touch with them. Before it was broadcast, and then afterwards, that was forty-five thousand people in total. You can't—I can't imagine that happening with a theatre show. Yeah.
0: Nowadays, it's, it's enormous. What did it feel
1: like, kind of being in the middle of that?
0: It was great fun, if I'm honest, um, because um, you know I got to have political conversations and religious conversations. <laughs> um, at the time, I was married to a man who was a vicar. And you know the, the people protesting on the streets, they could not understand how someone who is you know, professing to be uh, a man of God could allow these two things to juxtapose. Um, and so I was having conversations I never dreamed I would have with people. Uh, and in a way, given a platform to um, expand horizons and open ways of thinking. It didn't always work, <laughs> but I tried. And, and it was an exciting time. Was
1: there at no point then that you had maybe your own internal conflict on you know whether you should be doing this whether this was a good idea or you just no, or never, this is what I'm playing? No, never.
0: I mean, uh, the work of of theatre and actors and, and writers is to um, hold a mirror up to society mm-hmm. and show who we are and what we are. Um, it's also an opportunity to allow people who don't live this life to have a window in, to understand it. So. Always, I think, you know, if it's something that is pushing your limits and, and asking people to think beyond where they normally do, always it's a good thing. Um, and that's what we were doing.
1: So when you go into those Hollywood rooms and they say, oh, you're the devil, you're like, yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> ask me. <laughs> <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> um, so we're backstage at the Shaftesbury Theatre now, uh-huh. where you're in previews for Anne Juliet. Um, you were, became a big fan of musical theater during those kind of college days. What about Shakespeare? How, how big on your Shakespeare were you?
0: I'll be honest with you. I've always felt that it was beyond my capabilities. Uh, and I've had lots of people arguing with me through the years and mm-hmm. saying things like, do you not think that the, the depth of emotion and control of language that you use with uh, Sweeney Todd isn't exactly the same? Um, I suppose it is. Uh but you know now that I'm here there are people who have been raised on Shakespeare the the English it's in their blood it's mm-hmm. you know from the from the time you learn to speak you know who Shakespeare is. Um we didn't quite have that in the US and uh so I've never really gone in that direction. I'd like to mm-hmm. and I know it's not too late. Um I'd like to think I'm only halfway through my career when you look at people like Christopher Plummer and <laughs> I've got a few years left yeah. to tackle the big ones. So, yeah, So, we'll
1: see. so when you heard of this project, putting uh, Romeo and Juliet to pop music,
0: mm.
1: what did you think before you were offered the role? Were you like, oh, that's a good idea? Or were you skeptical?
0: Uh, I got involved with this through Luke Shepard, who is our director. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really give it a lot of thought. Basically, what happened was he called and said, there's a role in this play. Um, I'm pretty much sculpturing it around who you are and what you do. Will you come sing it for me? You happen to be in L.A. while I need you to be in L.A. Can you take a week and come sing it? And so I approached it very much as a singer. Okay. I thought, oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to sing this, this thing and it's going to be fun. And uh, at the end of it, I'll have a little paycheck. And I did that. But. A few days into it, I realized this role is really fun mm-hmm. and really different from anything I've ever done. He asked me to use a French accent, uh, and I said, I'm begging you <laughs> to not make me do an authentic French accent, and he said, no, 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 it should be a caricature. Yeah. you know, It should be over the top and silly and fun. Uh, and I discovered that everything that I spoke uh, in that accent was simply funny, mm-hmm. you know, just by virtue of the accent. No offense to the French, um, <laughs> to my interpretation of it. So so I didn't dig deeply into the Shakespearean link. Um, more so, I, I approached it as, as just music and I was helping out. Once we got to the second workshop, um, which happened here in London, mm-hmm. I fell in love with the complexity of how they made pop music melt into um, Shakespeare. I thought, these these connections are just so smart. Yeah. Everything about it is clever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how, I don't know how he and David Westry did it. I don't know. Tell me a little bit more
1: about your character then, because with so within this story of Romeo and Juliet, at the end, Juliet doesn't kill herself. She goes off, she kind of takes the story to herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where does your character fit
0: in? Well, she and the nurse go on an adventure and they go to Paris. And in Paris, one of the first things they stumble upon is a very grand house. Um, uh, And there's a party going on, there's a club actually, there's a party going on. And Lance Dubois is a wealthy Frenchman with several sons. And uh, his youngest son um, has yet to find a partner and get married and start life and uh, so he throws this ball in an effort to get his son um, acquainted with someone who he can fall in love with and it's there that all the connections are made with Juliet and the nurse Mm -hmm. and that's probably all I should tell you
1: well I I was going to go along the music route I think one of the first scenes we see with you yes is your first
0: number a Katy Perry number (laughs) (laughs) and there's something I thought I'd never do (laughs) a Katy Perry number yeah it is teenage dream yeah yeah i love it <laughs> who else would give me the chance to sing a teenage dream i mean really there were lots of songs like that in the oh, i mean
1: this this musical is full of songs that everyone will know obviously they're from the last two decades yeah. when kind of max martin's career has you know he's written songs for everyone mm.
0: but no one i mean i didn't know who max martin was until this musical came around did you mm, no no you know you you know songs by backstreet boys you know that that's probably his earliest stuff that I knew yeah. uh, but y- you know you don't ever stop to think who wrote this song you just assume it's Backstreet Boys yeah and they had nothing to do with it it was, it was him behind it so and so many of their big hits mm-hmm. you know were his yeah I didn't know who he was <laughs> are there any songs in the show that you wish were yours that you could sing well I'll tell you what my number one favorite is right now and, and it changes from day to day mm-hmm. um, they do a mashup of One Less Problem Without You and um, I can't feel my face when I'm with uh-huh. you. I think these songs are brilliant. They, I mean, the lyrics and how clever they are is, is so fun. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they've gotten them to, to mix together in such a way, you know, showing Romeo's side and Juliet's side, I just think it's brilliant. Yeah, and I want to be in it every night. I stand in the wings and I wish I was in the number. How involved has Max been with those kind of mashups or has that all been
1: handed over to an orchestrator because he's been Uh, integral to this musical He's been all over the rehearsal process. Yeah,
0: yeah I think a lot of that stuff happened before we got involved. Uh So I don't really know. I know that he is um, Extremely involved in the production of the sound Um, He you know when we were recording the album uh, It's all in his hands Mm -hmm. Um, and he decides I want a little more of this here and pull back on that and you know phrase it this way he's sculpting like a, a true artist he's sculpting what the end product sounds like mm-hmm. I've never felt in such secure hands in my life and he said to me you know because I, I worry about doing studio work I'm a, I'm a stage singer and it's quite different um, and he said to me one of my greatest gifts is getting the exact performance out of you that you and I will be proud of mm-hmm. so sit back and relax it's in my hands And I, and I did I just thought okay it's not going to get better than this <laughs> It was a real treat. Yeah. Pulling back the lens a little bit, we could do any production
1: of Romeo and Juliet and mm-hmm. kind of modernize it. What is what are the benefits of setting it to this modern music and evolving the story rather than just doing the same old story again and again?
0: Well, I suppose um, in this, you know, it's, it's so specific to the age we're living in. We are in the era of uh, female empowerment. Mm -hmm. Um, with the Me Too movement and the way things are shifting politically everything, the world is waking up to the fact that women have not just been oppressed but been abused throughout the years Um, and the time for that to stop is now Mm -hmm. and so this musical is all about that, it's all about waking up to um, women making their own choices and leading the lives they've always wanted to Uh, that power is given to Juliet but more importantly I, I think so much of the story centers around Anne Hathaway who is Shakespeare's wife she's the one who says I have to watch all of this happen and I and I know that I'm powerless and I wanted to give Juliet that same power mm-hmm. um, so really it's it's a it's an awakening for her and it's a it's a, a completion I mean I can't tell how the story turns out but it's a it's a completion In her desire to make a difference for women that has to happen now Mm -hmm. Um, if this were centered around any other theme I don't think it would be working as well as it does and it's uh, and it's educational for men oh god we really do that and we really need to wake up it's great
1: especially the will Shakespeare character yeah I think if you're a man you can see yourself in that which I'm sure many will you will probably take a step back and And the thing
0: is the musical is so clever in the writing that it doesn't make men feel bad about themselves. Yeah. It simply makes you want to do better and want to be better mm-hmm. for women's sake and for your own sake. Because mm-hmm. um, we'd be in trouble if it was a, a men-hating, men-bashing show, You know, uh, it, it just wouldn't work. But it, it has you feeling celebratory about what's possible mm-hmm. for everybody, all genders. I hope you're enjoying our
1: chat. David was a really warm and engaging interviewee so I hope that's coming across as you listen. I just wanted to drop in and let you know that if Anne Juliet* sounds like your kind of show, you can book tickets right now at londontheatre.co.uk. But let's get straight back into the podcast as we're about to put David to the test with 10 quickfire questions that he has to answer as fast as he can. Are you ready?
0: Okay. Favourite ever production. Of whose? Of mine or ever? Of mine? Uh, This one. And Juliet. What's your interval drink? Um, Pepsi, Coke. Who's your stage idol? Uh, Eric. Idol. (laughs) No, that's a joke. Uh, Who's my stage idol? God, I don't have a stage idol. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Do I have to have one? Can we pass? We'll go back. What's
1: your biggest passion outside of theater? Uh, Cats and dogs. The last film you watched?
0: I don't watch. I'm I'm fully Game of Thrones right now, so I'm I'm never watching movies. That's fine. We'll take that. Okay. Your favorite theater in London? Uh, I'm discovering the Shaftesbury. I'd never I'd never worked here before. I've worked in most of the others. Uh, I love it. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, Your favorite Max Martin song? Um. I'm gonna say, Show Me Love.
1: A role you've always wanted to play.
0: Mm. Oh, ah. Sweeney Todd but I did it that was the main one that's
1: fine we'll take that and then the best director you've ever worked with oh I
0: cannot I will not <laughs> I'd be in so much trouble there are two that would just kill me okay uh, I'll stop it there that's fine one minute that, those are the worst answers ever <laughs> my god <laughs>
1: Stage Idol was one that stumped you. Stage Idol. There's no, no one from maybe when you were growing up that you would see on stage and think, ah, oh, that's that's who I want to be.
0: No? No. That's not necessarily bad. I, I don't think there was anyone that I wanted to be. No? No, I always wanted to be a dancer. Uh, I used to watch this show called The Carol Burnett Show. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is?
1: I've heard of it, I'm not. I'm
0: she not was seen. a famous comedian uh-huh. back in the 70s and she had these ernie flat dancers it was a core of dancers you know she'd come out and do a comedy skit and then in between the dancers would come out and do a big dance number and then she'd be while she was getting ready for her next and i always wanted to be an ernie flat dancer (laughs) (laughs) but that was my only aspiration and then after that you know i just started working this is not someone that i wanted to be Mm -hmm. but when i was a kid there was a show called julia uh tv series and it starred diane carroll and she was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. She was a uh, the first black actress to have her own television series, so she broke down many doors in Hollywood. Um, and it, and she played a single mother raising a son. She was a nurse. All these you know firsts that were happening on television in 1969, and I just loved her. I thought she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Uh, you know, cut to 40 years later, I'm standing on stage. Uh, singing duets with her mm-hmm. night after night we toured with a show called um almost like being in love it was basically diane carroll in concert um and that was the most astounding moment for me to you know somebody that at eight years old i was i was watching on television you know i was suddenly uh a peer yeah. with uh, we, were, we were standing on stage singing if ever i would leave you she got mad at me once during uh during a sound check because I kept smiling while we were singing this love duet. And she said, stop the music, stop. What is it, can I just ask, what is it you're smiling at? And she was really irritated by it. And I said, I'm sorry, I I just can't believe I'm singing a duet with you. And she smiled and she said, my boy. (laughs) (laughs) And from that moment forward, I could do no wrong. Uh, In fact, I was the only person in her life ever to get away with calling her Didi Didi (laughs) Carroll. She would not allow that. So Everybody. there wasn't even a split second there where you
1: thought she looked at you like that and you thought, oh, I'm in trouble. I did, you know,
0: often. But, but you know, she was so good to me and, and uh, we overcame all the um, all the boundaries she had set up for all the other boys. <laughs> the other boys had to call her Ms. Carroll, <laughs> And I was backstage calling her Dee Dee. Dee are we going to do, you know. You were the favorite. It. I was the favorite. <laughs> so let's pull it back to Anne Juliet,
1: your favorite theater in London. You're discovering the Shaftesbury. Yes,
0: and and I guess it's because they're doing so many, um, uh, re- what do you call it? Renovations. Renovations around the theater. They've also got this plan to get rid of the street right out in front of us, and it's going to become um, a pedestrianized park mm-hmm. where there'll be tables and and a little cafe, and they're going to extend the the foyer so that because right now it's quite small, extend it so that there's uh, extra bars and extra you know an underground area for people to go sit and have drinks it's going to be beautiful and what's here now is amazing and then you walk upstairs and there's a whole new section back there how do you build a building on top of a building (laughs) but there's there's new offices and and um it's just beautiful i love what they're doing and inside the auditorium we just
1: walked across the stage to get into this room here the bar and uh you have this enormous screen um the confetti everywhere and some of the set pieces you have in the wings a huge yeah it's a real production
0: it really is it's so big yeah. and the, their use of led screens is incredible mm-hmm. you know the the animation behind us is like i've never seen before i just love what they're doing um but you know th- they're still retaining the the flavor of this building that's been here for what how many years mm-hmm. i don't even know what year has been it was built but I'm guessing you know quite a few yeah yeah well
1: it's been a pleasure to talk to you thank you very much oh it's been really nice thank you time
0: thank you very much
1: and that's a wrap I hope you've enjoyed listening to our chat as much as I did having it and if David's piqued your interest in Anne Juliet make sure you get down to the Shaftesbury Theatre and see what it's all about you can book your tickets now with londontheatre.co.uk while you're here, make sure you leave us a review and a rating on whatever podcast catcher you're using to listen to this on. Or why not delve into our back catalogue and listen to some of our previous episodes with the likes of Rachel Tucker, Adam Gillen and Giles Torrero. But until next time, bye bye.